Is evolution just a theory or is it a fact? Or are there elements of faith required to believe evolution? Welcome to Issues in Education. I'm Bob Boyd. And I'm Jerry Boyd. Our guest, Dr. Chris Kagan, author of From Darwin to Design, was raised as an atheist and he learned at school that Christianity was dangerous but evolution was good for advancing science and human understanding. That Christianity and religion caused wars, divisions, and suffering like the Crusades and Salem Witch trials. But now Dr. Chris Kagan, who's the author of From Darwin to Design, has changed and he says what he was taught at school was a lie. He now says the religion of evolution has brought about hundreds of millions of deaths through communism and Nazism. Karl Marx used evolution as a foundation for communism. Hitler embraced evolution, taught it to his troops, and tried to create a super race of humans by getting rid of inferior races as a byproduct of evolutionary philosophy. Dr. Chris Kagan has several degrees. One of his PhDs is in mathematics from UCLA. Dr. Kagan, you have more degrees than a thermometer. How many PhDs do you have? I have two PhDs and three master's degrees. Wow. Why? That is incredible. And do you teach right now? Are you a professor? Or what do you do? Right now I'm working as a mathematical economist. Oh, wow. A what, mathematical What is that? <laughs> what is that? I analyze business and write papers and do all kinds of number crunching, and I'm a statistical analyst. Now, you also are an expert in the field of stock market analysis and statistical analysis. What I was interested in is your background. You didn't believe in the existence of God. So would you like to give our listeners why you were an atheist? Well, I was a third-generation atheist. I grew up thinking that it was proved a long time ago that the Bible was full of mistakes, and there wasn't any God, and there wasn't anything that happened after you died. I thought that Christianity was something for somebody on the backside of a farm sitting on top of a bale of hay who dropped out of school in the third grade, and I thought that we smart people didn't believe in anything, and we were going to just go on with our lives and be scientific and make money, and that was all there was to it. When you're dead, you're dead. You weren't alone because there are many people that still feel the same way. Many of them feel that way because they really have not been exposed to the truth of God and of His Word, the Bible. I didn't know any real Christians until I went to college. I didn't go to church even once till I was 21 years old, and I didn't know anybody who was a serious Bible-believing Christian. So there's a lot of people like that. Well, you didn't know anybody who was a Christian, and most of what you found out about Christianity you learned at school. So you thought Christianity was dark and medieval, and, and you learned a lot about Christianity by the Salem witch trials. Do you want to mention that? Well, they'll tell you that the Christians or the Puritans, they burned these people that they thought were witches, and they make a big deal out of that to show that Christianity is some kind of a terrible old thing that belongs to the dark days of history. In fact, uh, there was about 19 people who were burned, and then the Protestant ministers put a stop to that. That amount of people, sad as it was, is nothing in comparison to about 60 million who were killed in the wars of secular humanism, of fascism and communism. So people like to say it's Christianity, it's guilty of this crime and that crime. In fact, the track record of Christians throughout history has been remarkably good. I think it's interesting that you make a comparison between Christianity and Darwinian humanism. And you said that humanism was directly or indirectly responsible for the deaths of over 100 million people through communism, Nazism, fascism, and abortion. 
I think that's fascinating that you would make that comparison. What do you say to those who say that's not a valid comparison? Well, it's absolutely true, because the whole idea of Darwinian evolution teaches that people are not really different from animals. We've just evolved a little more. The whole idea was that the more advanced races would take over the world and get rid of the less advanced races. And communism is based on the idea that we're just chemical and biological machines without a soul and without a god, and so therefore you can kill people or do anything you want to advance the state. And the whole idea of abortion is based on the fact that the unborn baby is not really a person. None of that is in agreement with the Bible. All of that comes out of secular humanism and the denial that people really have souls and are created by a real God and will answer to that real God one day. Isn't that amazing? Ideas have consequences. And look at the result of an idea, this humanistic evolutionary idea where man is merely an evolved animal. Look where that leads. And yet teachers today would propagate the myth that Christianity is dangerous, but evolution is good for advancing science and greater for human understanding and the like. And yet you're saying really just the opposite, that it's evolution that leads to humanism that causes the major wars and the Holocaust that we've seen. That's right. Now they teach that people are animals. And then they're kind of surprised when they act like animals. Okay, well, what about the Crusades? Because oftentimes you hear that, and especially nowadays, compared to the militant Islam, they'll say, well, Christians were in the Crusades. What about the Crusades? Well, first of all, the militant Muslims say that their goal is to kill everyone who's not a Muslim or doesn't want to be one. So that kind of scares me. I think it scared people in the Middle Ages, because the Muslims actually did try to conquer the world by war, and they took over a big part of it. Their version of evangelism is called sword point evangelism, which means converter will kill you. And the Christians don't do that. We try to persuade people using God's word. But the holy places, such as Jerusalem, had been taken over by Muslims, and they were even persecuting Christian pilgrims who were trying to visit those places. And I'm not surprised that the Christians and the European people decided to try to take those lands back. As I said in the book, From Darwin to Design, if militant Muslims took over Washington, D.C., and wouldn't let anybody go there and were killing people there, I think Americans might want to take it back. Well, so in other words, it was a reaction from the Christians because militant Islam had taken the Holy Land away from the Christians, and they went to war to take back the land that had been theirs. That had been theirs for centuries, yes. Well, that's fascinating, because here, the Crusades are painted as these holy warriors trying to force their religion on these poor Muslims. And here, look at it, it's just the other way around. And your comparison about Washington, D.C. is great, because just think of the Muslims that (laughs) captured Washington, D.C. Are we going to sit back and let that happen? Well, I hope we wouldn't. (laughs) Well, we might. (laughs) You know, the the politically correct people, they don't even want to call them terrorists. But those Muslims who want to put bombs on airplanes and blow up cars, that's terrorism, plain and simple. And that is not the religion of the true God. Well, in your book, you said the biased education you received on these subjects turned you against Christianity even more, and you felt that the Christians were half-civilized barbarians who had nothing to say to you. That's what I thought, because I remember hearing in biology class that basically that everybody believes in evolution, and anybody who doesn't hasn't read a book or doesn't know what he's talking about. Why don't you suppose that they teach intelligent design along with Darwinianism? Why do they just force evolution down the throats of these kids? Well, I wish they would teach intelligent design along with or in place of or certainly with equal honor to evolution as a legitimate scientific position, but the Bible speaks of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, And you have people who 
don't want to hear or promote the truth of God because they know that they're not right with God. So there's this resistance from individuals and through the establishment, the educational establishment and the so-called intellectuals of society. They don't want free debate of uh, creation versus the false theory of evolution. They don't want intelligent design presented. They talk about openness. They talk about diversity. But in fact, the last thing they want is to be open and diverse. They want their program taught and nothing else. Well, let's go back a little bit and see what is your definition for intelligent design and how is it different from creationism? Well, intelligent design says that what we see in the scientific universe is too complicated to have happened by itself, to have evolved by itself, and therefore requires the intervention in the existence of an intelligent designer. Intelligent design does not give an age of the universe. It does not insist that the Christian God is the true God. It does not insist that the Bible is the Word of God. But, of course, you can see that there is a designer, that there is complexity, that there has to be a mind, a great intelligent mind behind all of this. I am a Bible-believing Christian. I believe that the world and the first two human beings were created by God, just as the Bible Bible says. But there are some people who believe simply in intelligent design and they don't insist upon the Bible as a special book. They simply teach and wish to promote that the universe is complicated enough that it requires an intelligent mind behind it. And the secularists are even afraid of that. They even want to ban that. They even want to put that out of the schools, and they're fighting very hard to do it. Well, what about this watchmaker theory? What do you say about that, that watch analogy? Well, that basically is very much the intelligent design idea. It said if you were walking across a field and you saw a watch that was functioning and ticking away, you would not say that it just got there by itself or it evolved out of the grass or something like that. You'd say that there was an intelligent watchmaker who made that. If you saw a watch or a computer on the surface of the moon, you wouldn't think it just got there by itself or it grew out of the rock. Somebody designed it, planned it, and put it there. Well, the human body is trillions of times more complicated than a watch, and the computers that people have today, and yet there's somehow no planning. It all just happened out of the goo by itself, and I just don't see it. Well, isn't that fascinating? Because if you see a wristwatch on somebody's arm, you know it just didn't grow there. You know there had to be somebody design and build that wristwatch, and yet what's underneath the wristwatch, the person wearing it, is much more complicated. So, you know, complex design shows there must be a designer, an intelligent designer. A painting shows there had to be a painter. And that is purely logic. And yet, educators, secular educators, will contradict this. What do they say to that? Well, somehow, the principles of natural selection and the things that were better and more complicated gradually took over from the things that were less successful. But, you know, I have a Ph.D. in mathematical statistics as well as in religion, and I have seen the statistical analysis, and it just ain't going to happen, even if you give them the billions of years which they ask for. And they have all kinds of theories about complexity theory and self-organizing systems, and even if you allow that, it just plain doesn't happen. And even the fossil records show that the major species and phyla and groups of animals and groups of organisms don't slowly evolve. In fact, these types of organisms appear in the fossil record fully formed, and then they change 
little or not at all over time. And that's consistent with creation and with the laying down of fossils in the flood. Well, you say many scientists today are changing their opinion and they're saying that intelligent design is the only adequate explanation for the origin of life and the complexity of nature. You also cite in your book about Antony Flew, who was 81 and he'd been an atheist for more than 50 years and he changed his mind? That's right. He was a British philosopher who wrote for many years against God and against the Bible. And very recently he changed his mind. He was studying the DNA and the structure of it and the complexity of it. And he came to believe that was just not possible to have evolved or to have gotten together by itself. There's too much information. There's too much complexity in the detail, he said, of DNA all by itself, never mind the rest of a cell and how the billions and trillions of cells work together. But he said that it requires the existence of a designer. Well, that's fascinating because here's this elderly gentleman who's been an atheist, in fact, the world's leading atheist for more than 50 years. And the fact that he changed his mind is nothing short of a miracle. We can be awakened to God's truth as I was and as Anthony Flew was and as so many people are through the creation if people will take an honest look at it. Well, in fact, you said you were always very unhappy and empty inside and you were successful and earning a lot of money, but you still had these questions. You wondered about the meaning of life. Who was I? Why was I here? Where was I going? You had no real answers to these questions. What changed you? Well, I had become successful in academics and in my career and but it did not satisfy me, and I kept thinking, what next? And I'm just going to go through my life till it comes to its end. What the heck was that? I was empty inside. I was not happy inside, even though people would think that you're on your way to something big, and you ought to be successful and proud and all that business. For 20 years, I had poo-pooed Christianity and Christians and made fun of them and tried to get people to believe the Bible wasn't true and argued for evolution. And finally, I met some Christians who were nice to me, and I appreciated that. And God began to work in my life, and more and more I became interested, and I started reading the Bible. I started going to church, and it took me two years to actually come to Jesus Christ under the ministry of an evangelist, but thank God I did. Well, in fact, you said it was in your bedroom at four in the morning, and all of a sudden you just cried out and said, forgive me. I wonder, well, that obviously came from the Holy Spirit, because you had no background to even say that. Yeah, this was the beginning of my awakening. That was not my final conversion, but it was like kind of reaching out and speaking and then the next day, I believe that God, the Holy Spirit, helped me to do very well upon a very difficult exam that I had had trouble with. But then for two more years, I wrestled with Jesus because I wanted to live my life my own way. I wanted to go on in my sins. So even while I was reading the Bible and going to church and thinking about, did I want to be a Christian? Finally, it was two years after that that I actually did come to Jesus Christ, and that made all the difference. You were taking this examination in mathematical engineering, which you said was very hard, and you prayed and asked God to help you, I guess, and then you wrote the answers seemed to suddenly come to your mind. I have no question at all that God helped me do well on that test, and that was 30 years ago, and yet I still remember it just as clear as if it happened today. But you know, you wonder, of course, you had to do a little bit of learning before then, right? I did some learning and studying before then, but I had done bad on that midterm, and yet I was a mathematician. And I never could quite put it together in my mind. And yet when I sat down there, God was with me. And it looked so easy. And it was just like, of course it was easy. And I did that three-hour test in an hour. 
And I knew that it was the God of the Bible, and I knew that Christianity was true, and I knew that, that God was real. Well, you know, I really concur with what you said. I had to take a real estate broker's license exam once, and I prayed about it, and I didn't really know much about the exam, but I did very well, and I passed. And so I know God can help people through exams, and I don't know how or why, but I do know that He can and does. Who would you say was the world's greatest scientist? The world's greatest scientist was probably Isaac Newton, who at the age of 20 invented calculus, who wrote the first great system of physics, the laws of motion, which is called the Principia. I think he was the greatest scientist of all time, and he did that without calculators, without computers, just in his head, with an old-fashioned pen on paper, all by himself, without question, probably the smartest and the greatest scientist of all time. And he believed in God. He believed that all the universe was made and created by an intelligent being, and he felt there was no way you could believe otherwise. Newton, at 22 years old, invented calculus, and then here, 300 years later, You had to sweat to learn what Newton figured out for the first time on his own. And I tell you, I took logarithms. I was lost. So, I mean, this is hard stuff we're talking about. Yes, it is hard stuff. I always had trouble with art and music, and some people do very well on those subjects. But he did this all by himself, on his own, while he was escaping London, while the plague was going on there. He just kind of sat down and did it, and that became the foundation of modern science. And believe me, although it's hard enough to study something in college like that, to invent it the first time is a million times harder. Well, Jerry here used to be a dental hygienist, and she scraped calculus off people's (laughs) teeth. (laughs) Maybe you'd like to tell people that may not know, what is calculus? (laughs) Well, calculus is a branch of mathematics that's generally taught in college. You can calculate speeds and add up infinitely small quantities, like the area underneath a curve. It was a new branch of mathematics. It was an incredible breakthrough that led to the science that we have today and made it possible for people to travel to the moon. Give us an example of a calculus problem. If you throw a rock up into the air, it will trace out a parabola. That's like an arch. You can actually compute using calculus the exact area under that curve, which couldn't be done before. Huh. Well, I, I don't think I could do it now. <laughs> <laughs> I, like you said, I'm more um, inclined towards music and art. <laughs> well, you also said that he derived both the laws of gravity and the mathematical motions of the planets. What's that all about? He was able to derive the motions of the planets and explain how the tides work. And he was basically able to put all of science together and lay the foundation for centuries of progress to come. Wow, isn't that fascinating? Well, Newton himself said that he believed that God is a being eternal, infinite, absolutely perfect, omnipotent, and omniscient. People today may glibly say that those who lived hundreds of years ago were not as intelligent as these today. Here is Sir Isaac Newton, who was a brilliant, like you said, maybe the most intelligent man that ever lived. How could people say that they were primitive back then? We have more knowledge than people did in the past, but it doesn't mean that we're smarter than what people were in the past. In fact, there's good reason for saying that people are less smart. I can do math in my head. It's not just because I'm mathematically good. It's because when I grew up, nobody had a calculator. And so you do things in your head. But nowadays, there's lots of people that they have trouble making change, doing simple numbers, and that's because they always had a calculator. And so somebody else did it for them. But nobody did it for Isaac Newton. So in many ways, they were 
smarter than we are. Well, I think it's fascinating because of Darwin's idea of evolution, where lower life forms are evolving upward. It's kind of, in my mind, like a princess kissing a frog, and the frog becomes the prince. That's obviously a myth, but if you add billions of years, it's somehow scientific and believable. But for our entire culture to embrace this idea as a cultural myth and teach it without question as truth to all the public school students, that to me is mind-boggling. Evolution, which of course is a theory, it's not proven scientific truth, even if you allow for billions of years, but it's a faith system that everything is getting better over time. There's no God to answer to. You don't need a savior. It's a faith system. It's a religious system, and it goes right along with humanism. Right, and in your book you said, students no longer taught that there is any evidence which contradicts evolution. Evolution is taught as though it were a proven fact. In school you are inundated with the Bible is wrong, They attack Christianity almost everywhere. I find it interesting they don't attack Islam, they don't attack Buddhism, they don't attack communism, but they do attack Christianity and the Bible all over the place. What is the second law of thermodynamics, and how does this contradict evolution? Well, the second law of thermodynamics, which is often called the law of entropy, it says that things run down and break down and fall apart. That's a law of science that's been confirmed millions of times. If you start out with a new car, it doesn't evolve into a Rolls-Royce or a Ferrari. Instead, it breaks down until it's no good. Evolution says that things are getting better and better, and the universe began with a great explosion. Things are moving up from there, but if you've ever seen an explosion, it doesn't create order. It doesn't organize things. It might blow something up that was there before, but it doesn't make organization. It doesn't make order. That requires an intelligent designer. So second law of thermodynamics, which says everything's running down, that's the opposite of evolution. Boy, you have gone full circle. Here is Dr. (laughs) Chris Kagan, who was an evolutionist. And then one day, Dr. Gish came to UCLA. I had come to the point where I was open enough to at least sit in the room and hear the creationist evidence. And they gave these talks where they gave example after example of animals that only make sense as a fully formed unit, that if you had a part of them, that wouldn't be an advantage for evolution. I mean, what if an animal was born with one wing or something like that? It couldn't fly. It would die sooner. It wouldn't live longer. Even if an animal was born that had everything all equipped, it would also have to have a mate, a member of the opposite sex that was exactly the same way. And then in the end, after two or three days, they passed a piece of paper around. And there was a column, accept evolution, accept creation. And I came to see that creation was true. And I said, well, if I'm going to be a Christian, and if I'm going to believe the Bible, I'm going to accept creation. And I can remember that I I put my name on that piece of paper, and I checked off the box. Boy, I think it's interesting. You went to one creationist seminar at UCLA, and you became a creationist. But every day in public schools, students are given pro-evolutionary indoctrination. Every day, they do not hear the other side. And is it any wonder, then, that 90% turn away from the faith when they graduate? It's not surprising. And you believe it, and you think nobody could believe anything else. Now, would you like to give us a conclusion? Any concluding remarks? Well, I would just say that if you're listening to this program, ask yourself honestly and pray, God, show me the truth. God, show me if I've been wrong. Show me the truth of the Bible. Make an honest attempt to find God and to find the truth. Seek the forgiveness of your sins through Jesus Christ, and you'll be glad you did. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. 
Amen. Well, that's beautiful. How can they get this book? It's called From Darwin to Design, and you can order it through your Christian bookstore or from Amazon.com, or you can look at our website, realconversion.com, realconversion.com. What a fascinating testimony from our guest, the brilliant Dr. Chris Kagan, author of From Darwin to Design. Want proof for creation? Design is proof. Take a look around. It's all around you. And I love what Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote. Earth is crammed with heaven. Every common bush is a fire with God. Design is the proof. Evolution is a fairy tale dressed up in scientific language. Evolution is taught as science when really it's a religious myth. In the 1800s, people believed the moon was populated by furry-winged humans, that grain changed into rodents, and that mud became frogs, and that apes became people. All these ideas of the 1800s have been proven unscientific. Why is evolution still believed? Evolution is propagated in public schools. Without public schools propagating evolution, it wouldn't even be much of an issue today. The only place atheism has really prospered is in the schools. If a person believes in evolution, how can they believe Jesus Christ, who said in Matthew 19:4, "In the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, not gradually from evolution." Jesus didn't believe in evolution, but in the literal Genesis account of Adam and Eve. If you believe in evolution, you don't believe. Moses, who wrote, quote, The Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground, and Eve was made from Adam's rib, described in Genesis 2. If you believe in evolution, you don't believe the Apostle Paul, who wrote, From one man God made every nation. Not a half a man or half an ape, but one man, Adam. From Genesis 1, verse 1, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Out of nothing. That's the amazing thing. From nothing. Came everything. If you would like a CD copy of today's program, please ask for number 1811, False Science. That's number 1811, False Science. And you can order a CD copy of this program from our website. Our website is issuesineducation.org. That's issuesineducation.org. If you want to be better informed about the political and current issues, Please get our free new eight-page newsletter written from a biblical perspective. Give us a call at 928-776-0000. That's 928-776-0000. From 1 Timothy 6, verse 20, turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called science, which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. For Issues in Education, this has been Bob and Jerry Boyd.